all here with us this morning. Um, there's something unique about, I don't know, Christmas carols that, that they're just so familiar to so many that people sing super loud and it's, it's, uh, it's super exciting when you're up here and, and you feel like you're being drowned out by the congregation. So thank you for joining uh, with us in that. Uh, it's crazy to think, uh, I said to somebody this morning, it feels like Christmas sneaks up on you a little bit more every year. And, and you'd think that would mean we would prepare better, but clearly that's not the case in my life. Um, and, and so here we have Saturday is our Christmas service uh, this week. And so sometimes we're asked the question, like, are you ready for Christmas? I'm never really sure how to respond to that, because what does it mean to be ready? Uh, Christmas is coming whether I'm ready or not. And uh, if I'm not ready in the sense of as Ernie just mentioned, remembering the true reason for Christmas, if I'm not focused on Jesus all year, then what's going to make me be ready in one day? And so I, as, as much as it is a celebration that we should highlight, um, this isn't meant to be a once-a-year thing where it's like, oh, oh this, is a, this is a big you know, thing on the calendar where we need to gather together and worship, but rather we need to gather together and worship regularly all the time. And when those seasons like Christmas, Easter, whatever it might be, do come in, absolutely there's a focus on that. But the focus was never meant to be on one kind of day or one season, but it was meant to be on a lifetime as we learn to follow Jesus and mature in him. So next, uh, on Saturday, like I said, we're going to go through our final Advent theme of, of love as we, as we read from uh, Scripture, Jesus is coming. And I'm not going to preach as such. It's going to be a pretty short service. We're going to sing very kind of more acoustically, more mellow, some Christmas songs. We're going to do our traditional silent night with, with candles as we kind of light through the room. Uh, as Ernie mentioned, if you can be here early, I've had lots of people saying they're coming, so we're going to try and fit as many of you as we can in here, but we'll probably end up over there as well. Uh, and it'll be a really meaningful time as we just remind ourselves of the truth of Christmas. We're going to call it uh, a Christmas homily, which is like a mini sermon. I promise it'll be a mini sermon. Uh, so that means today we're going to get two sermons in one. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about peace this morning, but we're going to do something different than what I usually do. And if you know me well, you know that I really don't like what I'm about to do. Typically, I want to pick through passages and study through them because my conviction is that as a pastor, my job is not to kind of do Christianity 101 or 10 steps to a better life. My job is to help us study, understand, and learn to interpret Scripture uh, in a consistent way so that when you're at home with your family, when you're reading to yourself or with others, that you've been equipped so that you go, man, I, I understand what this means and where it's going. And, and of course, there'll be more to learn throughout our lives. But that's kind of my goal as a pastor. And, and so sometimes when we get to little topical things like this, like peace, we're basically going to just jump around from verse to verse to verse to verse. So if, if you like to do that in the Bible and you want to jump around, feel free, but we will have the words up on the screen. But what I'm going to do this morning is try and define for us what spiritual peace really looks like. Because I think too often we think of it in a broad context of that, that Jesus uh, came to bring peace to the earth uh, when he came. And we're going to read a verse about that and clarify that. And I clarified that last year, but I want to do that again. But just as I look at my notes here, we have to back up. I said something last week that I need to clarify. One of the more difficult things for me, um, my brain runs a million miles a minute and my mouth does not. And so to keep up with what I'm trying to think, 
with what I say is, is often very challenging. And, and oftentimes, I kind of mix up the order of my words. And, you know, people graciously afterwards remind me of all the things that I've said that were incorrectly. And that's, that's good. But I said something last week that was just straight heresy because I mixed up the order. And so I just really want to clarify. I, I hope that you understood from the context of what I was saying um, what I should have said and that you don't actually think that I think what I said I said. That was a very confusing sentence. The point is this, right? We were, I was referencing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Um, and, and the fact that Jesus is pleading for there to be another, another way um, rather than for him to have to go to the cross. But, but of course, what he ends up doing is he submits himself to the will of the Father and to the plan that has been laid out for salvation. And he prays, not my will, but yours be done. And I said that the other way, which is like as heretical of a thing as I could have possibly said. But I hope that you understand what I meant to say. But I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, there's moments where you know, I get excited about what's coming next, and, and I don't even realize that I've said something that way. So for those of you who paid enough attention to notice that, please raise... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that. And for those of you who, uh, who just were like, yep, we knew what Greg meant, thank you for your grace and compassion in that, because that's a tough one. Uh, as we kind of get into what we're going to read this morning... Um, it's very similar in a sense to what we've looked at in the first two weeks with hope and with joy. And I had a lot of you come to, to me afterwards and even throughout the week kind of talking about how do, how do I have joy in the midst of this season that I'm in? Because uh, we talked about how circumstance shouldn't dictate our joy or our hope, but circumstance is a reality. And some of us are going through some pretty rough stuff. And, and I was reminded just this week of just how many of you are going through stuff that, that probably the majority in your life don't have any idea about. And it is tough, and, and the goal here, and I was not trying to say, man, just, just choose joy and all your problems will go away. I think over-spiritualizing it in that sense is unhelpful, and it kind of takes the focus off of the cross. Rather, the truth is, your circumstances may not change right now, and they may be very difficult, but that God walks with you through it. And so we can step back and we can kind of take a big picture view of the reality that even though I'm struggling right now, even though there's hurt and pain and all these difficulties in my life, that Jesus went to the cross, that he died on the cross for me so that I might be able to have salvation, so that I can know for certainty that one day I'll be with him for forever. And then my pain and the hurt and all those things will be no more. And as the Apostle Paul says, we won't even compare those two in the same line. And so I don't mean that to be suck it up. That's not my point. But is to let's step back from our circumstance, look to the cross, and remember that our circumstance is momentary. And it's real, and it, it hurts, and we have to process, and we have to go through it. But I think it helps us as we process by stepping back and looking at the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And so I just want to remind us of that again. And as we look this morning to peace, the same is true. Because I'm going to say a statement that I mean to say that sounds bad. But I'm not going to mix up my words here. I really hope. Is if, if what God meant to do through the sending of Jesus was to bring everlasting peace right then and there, well, then he failed miserably. Because that wasn't his point. God's point was to bring spiritual peace to us as mankind, not simply to make all 
things go smoothly in our lives. And of course, we, we know that to be true just in normal life. But when we read about scriptures, when Jesus came, he actually caused quite a, a bit of division because people had to choose, are they going to serve God or are they going to serve themselves? And so Christianity grew like crazy as people choose or chose to follow after Christ, but the opposition as well grew. And, and maybe it didn't grow numerically as much, but there were plenty of people that got so upset and so angry that ultimately they killed Jesus for the claims that he made. But not only did they kill Jesus, they killed all of the 12 disciples except John, who was banished to the island of Patmos, according to church tradition, because they uh, poured boiling tar over him to kill him. And, and, and God simply went, no, John, you're not, you're not going to die yet. And so as church history goes, uh, they were so fearful of him that they banished him because they didn't know what he was going to do. And as you go into kind of church history into the first and second and third centuries, you see many people that were killed. The first one kind of that, that got a name made after him is who? Justin Martyr. And now we call those who give their life for their faith in Christ, it's, it's called a martyrdom, someone who was killed for their belief. And all through history, we see that happening. And, and, and sometimes we can look at it, especially in our culture here, we can look at that and think of it that that only happened back in the past. But the truth is that that's happening in many countries in the world right now. That there are people who could be shot on the street for professing Jesus or for carrying even a Bible when most of you this morning, I, I bet all of us didn't even think twice about grabbing your Bible and walking with it from either your car to the church or, or even from your home to the church. And so again, if, if, if we interpret Scripture to mean, man, Jesus came uh, when he was born on the earth to bring peace, well, then we really have to do some spiritual gymnastics to make that make sense. And so rather, I think we should go to Scripture and understand what was God trying to bring when, when there are these verses about peace, what does that mean? And so we're going to bounce around like crazy uh, looking at some of these verses about peace and specifically peace in Jesus and what that really means. But before we get there, I need to give you just a brief, kind of real brief overview of the Old Testament. Because basically all of our problems um, in interpreting seem to go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so if we understand that correctly, it seems like we'll get the rest right. So when God creates the world, right, he creates the land and the seas and the sun and the stars and the plants and the vegetation, the animals, and then he creates humans. And we read in... in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve walked in perfect fellowship with God, and God gave mankind dominion to rule in his image and care for all that he had created. And in the first page of the Bible, we find peace in every sense of the word. However, just, you know, a chapter and a half later, in Genesis 3, we read about the fall of man. God being the creator, he has the authority to decide what is true and what is good and what is right. And so he gives Adam and Eve everything in the garden. He says, everything is for you and was created for you, for your good, except this one tree. And he asks them not to eat of it. And of course, we know what it says in there. That mankind, Adam and Eve, looked and, and really what they decided to do is they decided to say, I don't think God can be trusted. I want to redefine good and evil for myself. I want to take and eat of that and and I want to determine what's right and good. And if you've ever had children, well, you know that this problem still exists today. 
So how many arguments have you had with your children growing up going, well, why can't I do this? Like, what makes this wrong or right? And, and when they get smart enough and they get old enough, they get real philosophical with you to try and kind of prove their argument. And that's kind of what you see in Scripture as Adam and Eve sin. Um, a consequence comes in and all of a sudden there's not that same fellowship in the Garden of Eden walking with God. And the rest of the Old Testament, generally speaking, is written to describe God's plan of salvation where he would one day deal with sin, first at the birth of Jesus and then at the second coming of Christ, which we eagerly wait for. To simply put it this way is all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And so as we read, and, and we're going to spend most of 2023 uh, studying through the book of Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, and, and we're going to make a lot of similarities to our own lives, but all of it is pointing to the reality that God would not abandon his people. That no matter how awful their decisions were, no matter how many times they turned their back on him, that God was gracious and merciful. And yes, there were consequences. Absolutely, there are. We, we know, if, again, if you're a parent, you know that consequences are good and necessary as you bring up your children. But you also love them unconditionally. And so the Old Testament people are waiting for, God, how are you going to do this? And there's various prophecies, some of which we've read over the course of our Advent readings and that we read this morning that are pointing towards this. And then eventually in Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this here because we're actually going to read most of it on Saturday together. But in Luke chapter 2, if you just want to flip there just for a second, we're going to read this one verse, and this one verse is one that's taken out of context a lot of times. It says, glory, this is chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And last year at this time, which I'm sure that you all jumped back online last night just to remember what we talked about last year. No? Nobody? Okay. Um, we looked at this verse, and we looked at the reality that says, peace among whom, does it say? There's a qualifier, isn't there? doesn't say peace to mankind, which some English translations have used. And I think they've misunderstood and misinterpreted here. Is the point is that what God is saying is to those of you who have been waiting eagerly for the Messiah to come, for sin to be dealt with, here is the beginning of that journey and Jesus has come to earth. And so for those of you that that animosity, that distance that existed between God and man, or, or as Paul writes in Romans, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So they've been waiting for this moment. So for those whom accept Jesus to be the Messiah, there is spiritual peace with you. What you have been waiting for has happened. And if you want further explanation of that, that's what the majority uh, of the sermon was last year at this time. So you can feel free to jump online and go back to that. But what I want to do now moving forward here is because that is true, because Scripture teaches us that there is a spiritual peace that is given or offered to those who want to put their faith in Jesus Christ, what does that mean for those of us living in a tumultuous, challenging, chaotic, difficult world? And even, as we mentioned already, in our own lives. Well, Jesus says it this way in John 14, 27. He writes, 
or he says, excuse me, John records this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But then what does it say? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus says that his peace is different because his goal was different. God's goal in sending Jesus to the earth wasn't simply so that there would be no difficulty amongst people, but that first and foremost, that sin could be paid for so that spiritually we could find peace. And then that the people of God, so that's you and I, those who have made profession of Jesus Christ, that we could come and we could bring this peace to the world so that they would know that first we need to get right with God before we can really and truly get right with one another. Paul in Ephesians 2:14 writes for he himself speaking of Jesus for he himself is our peace. And as we talked about last week, Paul did not have a very smooth simple life. And yet Paul looked at this and he says Jesus himself is our peace because he realized that his fight as he says in Ephesians is not against flesh and blood but against spiritualities, against principalities, against ultimately Satan and his demons. He writes again in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we give our allegiance to Jesus, when we make him Lord of our lives, we have peace. We've been justified. And just in case we've never explained that, there's a really easy kind of Bible college answer to this, is when you think about what does it mean to be justified, It's as if God is looking at you and we have been justified. It's just as if I've never sinned before. The theological term we use is that God imputes his or the righteousness of Jesus onto us. And so that when God sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so we experience justification once we believe in Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Paul explains things further, and he says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, sorry, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross, which is the most wicked instrument of death that humans tried to bring is the very thing that God brings redemption to the world and ultimately brings his spiritual peace. But here's the thing is it's, it's not just as though this, this peace that we have in Jesus is meant to be internal. It is primarily or first rather meant to be internal, but then it's meant for us to go and to take externally. It's not some kind of hypothetical thing, but it was meant to accomplish purpose. And and Paul says in Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. The reality of the peace of Christ that should lead to a life of thanksgiving, where we understand that I don't deserve mercy And I don't deserve grace, but it has been offered to me. And so now internally my gratitude comes out, but then externally I'm called in one body so that we might gather together and share this not only with each other, but share this with the world around us. This is one of the things that I'm so excited about for for this last Friday evening. If you were here, as Ernie mentioned, it was an incredible evening. And here's one of the great things about being a pastor. I got a lot of credit for stuff I didn't do. 
Now, to be real clear, I told everyone that I can't take any credit for that. I didn't just take it. But so many people came up to me, and, and you know, on behalf of the, like, them towards the church, they wanted to thank me for just, they kept saying things like us going above and beyond and caring for those that we don't even know. All these things. And I was reminded that there's people here, and there's a true story. I'm not going to single them out here, but there's a person here who has come to an understanding of faith in Jesus Christ because people were willing to invite them to Friday night chili. Sometimes it's very hypothetical, and we're like, well, we're inviting people in, and we're feeding them, but, but are we doing more? And the reminder is that there are people that have come to us and have experienced the love of Christ and have wanted to know, what does that mean? What does that look like? I, I need more of that. While this, hasn't, while this doesn't bring complete temp, uh, circumstantial peace, what is it does is it brings us to a broader perspective. Paul writes this again. We're going to talk about this verse one more time in a moment. But he says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is simply this. The peace that you have with God now doesn't make any sense to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because if they don't know Jesus, they simply look at circumstance and say, how can you have peace in the midst of this? And we can have a great opportunity to tell them, here's Here's where this peace comes from. But it's not just a suggestion. It's not just now that you have peace with God, uh, you, you should probably go and share this with other people. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, we looked at this a couple of months ago, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And then he continues on in that text, which we unpacked about how we are to go and be a blessing to others through that. First Peter 3.11, Peter quotes Psalm 34 when he says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So we are called, we are commanded to pursue peace. And so that means relationally, and here's the biggest challenge, and I'm already going to ruffle some feathers because I'm ruffling in my own life too is there are people in our lives and family in our lives and friends in our lives who maybe we haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe those relationships have changed and, and they're not a peaceful thing. And, and maybe you're about to have some Christmas dinners with extended families really thinking, what's the, long, or the shortest amount of time I can let them be in my home and before I kick them out before fights start? Like sometimes that's the reality of it. Well, we're called to pursue peace. And so I think there's a really good practical thing for us right here, right now. Is that many of you are going to have Christmas dinner with people that maybe life is a little chaotic with right now. You were called to pursue peace with that individual. And so my challenge to us is would we not just go, man, we just don't talk about those things anymore and we just, we just fight if we talk about them. Rather go, hey, I want to enter into this mess, and I'm not going to fight about it. Let's try and pursue peace. But on the flip side, there's a reminder that Paul gives us in Romans 12, 18, where he writes, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There's a, I don't know, the expression it takes two to tango is very true in peace as well. You can pursue peace and you can try and offer that grace and that mercy and that love and it can be met with resistance. It can be met with hostility. That doesn't mean that we stop. 
That doesn't mean that we just go, man, they're just never going to listen or I, I, I can't have that conversation again. Rather, it means we go to Christ and we plead for his wisdom and we plead that the Holy Spirit would give us the words to say and the right things to do so that we can show other people that we don't want to live in hostility, but that to live in peace and harmony is what God has called us to do. Even further, and this is something that I've struggled with in the past, is sometimes amongst Christian churches we have fighting because we go, man, they believe this and that's wrong and we're going to stand here and we're, gonna, we're not, we're not going to have a relationship with those people. And yes, we need to defend, we need to be clear about what's true and right in Scripture, but I think we can always do that in a peaceful way. At least, at least we can do that in a peaceful way. And if we see that there's hostility there, then yes, we should probably remove ourselves from that situation because the Holy Spirit has not yet worked in that person's life for them to listen. But the question that we need to ask is, am I listening to the Holy Spirit for what my role is in that relationship? Do we want to live with peace so long as it depends on us? There's a reality here That we as the church, that as we unite together, as we care for one another, what the world should see is they should look at that and go, how can you, as a church with different people, with different cultures and different ideologies and different political leanings and different, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. How can you gather together and be united and care and love for one another? See, the peace that we should have with Christ, that we should have within the body, should speak so loudly to our community that they go, I need that because I'm sick of fighting. I think most of us in the last two years probably got a little bit sick of turning on the news and watching. So much animosity, so much anger, so much you're on this side and you're on this side and we're going to fight over this and legislations and all these things coming down. I think the reason for that is because God has input into us, the spiritual peace that we know that we have a right-standing relationship with God, and now we want to have a right-standing relationship with one another. Back to Philippians 4, but this time verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the context of which this supernatural peace surpasses all understanding. And so whatever you're going through this morning, whatever family issues exist or circumstantial issues that exist and there's animosity there, is my encouragement to you is as long as it depends on you to live at peace with those in your lives. Offer it to them even when they want to attack you back. Jesus has a unique way of saying it where he says, if someone strikes you in the cheek, what are you supposed to do? He doesn't say fight back, does he? Now, there is a time to fight back, and that's a conversation for another time. But in the context of these kinds of things is never by fighting do we accomplish what we want to. And so let's all of us choose that we're going to live at peace with one another as much as we can. 
that we're going to offer grace and mercy and, and we're going to offer maybe forgiveness that we haven't yet extended to those who have wronged us. Let's do that because we remind ourselves Jesus came to the earth to show us that he was going to forgive us of all of our sins if we would trust in him. And so we are called to do the same. And so may we offer that. May we be known as, as, as Christians, may we be known as people who pursue peace. And then let's always keep that door open and remember that one day when Jesus comes back at his second coming, there will be a judgment and then there will be peace for all of eternity. Not just spiritually, but every aspect. And so we wait for that. We're never going to get there on our own. We eagerly wait for Christ to come and do that. But while he is coming, may we live at peace with one another. Let's pray. God, thank you that Jesus came to this earth. And as we celebrate that in this next coming week, especially as we read the story of Jesus' birth, and all the implications that that has for our lives. May we consider this, this idea that Jesus is our peace. So God, thank you that we can stand before you, not clean because of what we have done, but clean because of what Jesus has done. And because you have offered us this peace, would we have the courage and the strength, and would we trust in the Holy Spirit with the words to say and the actions to do so that we might offer that peace to those who don't know you so that they might encounter you? And might we offer that to those who do know you as an example to show what it means to live in peace together as one body? And so, God, for those here this morning who are already fighting with anxiety of looking forward this week to family gatherings or conversations that they know might happen, relationships that have been strained or broken. May we step out with the faith and the courage to choose to live at peace and to forgive those who have wronged us. God, help us to take our responsibility very seriously in that. And even more, we pray that you would convict the hearts of those that need to know you and that they might see and understand that they can have spiritual peace and that they can have peace amongst one another as well. So God, in a chaotic world that we find ourselves in today, we are thankful for the peace that we have with you and as we go from this place today, may we extend that to those that we get to encounter. God, you are good. Help us to trust in you and help us to live by the power of your spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Just a reminder that we're going to tear up this sanctuary. Tear it up, right? That sounds bad. We're going to stack chairs and move them, and move tables in. And if you'd like to help us, that would be great. But there are snacks first, so you can eat and mingle first, uh, or you know, however you want to do it. But if you could come back and, and help us set things up, we would really appreciate it. And uh, 
We look forward to seeing those of you who have signed up tonight. I have very little to do, so don't worry. It'll all go smooth. Have a wonderful week.